welcome to the seventh episode of the Next Candidate podcast. I'm your host, Jemima Ayub, and today I have with me a very special guest, Adam Zara. Adam was the One Nation candidate for the seat of MacArthur in the 2022 federal election. In March of this year, he is running for the southwestern seat of Campbelltown. Adam is very passionate for politics and his community. He's a true local, a hard worker. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hi, Jemima. Thanks for having me on. Now, Adam, could you just tell the audience a bit about yourself, what led you into politics, um, whether you're, you plan on becoming one of those politicians who focus solely on themselves or if you're community focused and what your main goals are if and when you get into parliament? Okay, yeah, for sure. So um, I was born in um, Auburn Hospital because that's where we were born back, back in the day um, in the 80s. And then um, my family's um, been rooted in Campbelltown. So I've been in Campbelltown um, all my life. Um, it's now outside of the Campbelltown electorate, unfortunately, because they've moved the boundaries this time. So that actually falls into the Leppington boundary. Um, but um, we are on the, on the border of basically Campbelltown and the Leppington area. Um, even the, uh, where I live now in St Andrews, it was a Campbelltown um, electorate and now it's gone into Leppington, but um, I still shop and I still work and I still basically do all my living in Campbelltown. So, um, you know, my face is around and, and that's it. So I wanted to run for Campbelltown because um, Campbelltown is being what I feel to be neglected. Um, but before I get there, um, I'm a small business owner. I do blinds, doors, awnings and plantation shutters um, around Campbelltown and um, the greater MacArthur region. Um, so I have been doing that for about, um, on my own for about five years, but I've been contracting to other small businesses in the area for about 15 years now. So most of the, to most people have seen me or I've, been, I've probably been in your home and, um, had a bit of a conversation with you anyway. So, um, I'm not a stranger to the area. Um, I'm very passionate about Campbelltown. So I guess in my vast experience of 40 years, I've been around to a lot of different places. I've been to, you know, overseas and I've been um, to all different um, electorates and different areas and suburbs and houses and people, met people, different people. Um, but I always called Campbelltown home. I've never really looked outside of Campbelltown, apart from the dream of maybe living on a beach one day. But, you know, um, I'll live in Athens. It's only 20 minutes from the beach, so I'm pretty happy. To, I'd be happy to do that. So um, Campbelltown's pretty much got everything that we need. Um, it's just basically misses out on all the kind of good stuff, you know. So um, I just feel like the people who um, represent Campbelltown in federal and in um, state politics really kind of probably just phoning it in at the moment. Um, I'm not saying it's not personal attack on them. It's, I, I know um, Mike Freelander, I did a little bit with him, um, obviously through the federal campaign. Um, he was a gentleman to me, so I was a gentleman back, I, you know, We've got nothing against him personally. Um, and I've spoken also in the same federal campaign, I spoke to Greg as well, who's also a Labor. He's the seated member for, for, for Campbelltown. Um, as I said, nice guy, but I just feel like, you know, six years in and what's happened? Where's the voice gone? You know, I think sometimes, you know, the passion goes away. Um, and I think that, you know, there's things that have been neglected that need to get done. And I think they need a louder voice, maybe a different face in Parliament to try and shake things up a little bit. So um, 
that's roughly me. It's kind of why I started. Well, I started politics as well because um, I didn't agree with any of the mandates. So um, that was a big thing for me. I guess it really woke me up to politics. I was actually interested in politics when I was a little bit younger. And then obviously when um, the children come and, and life life starts getting on you, so you have to really start working and you put your head down. So politics goes away a little bit. Um, but I was interested in politics and um, especially the Howard years. I used to follow a lot lot back then. Um, but when the mandates came along, I didn't realise that in Australian, Australia, such a free, fun-loving, spirited country um, would be so willing and able and quick to bend the knee and, uh, and, and kind of like, well, if the government says to wear a mask, we're going to wear a mask. If the government says that we're not allowed to go to work, we're not going to go to work. And, and it got me wondering, um, you know, never in history, in, from what I know of the history of Australia, I've never heard a government, an Australian government say, hey, don't go to work and we'll pay you. So I started getting a little bit suspicious about that. Um, and then when I got looked into it a little bit further and then I, and, and, um, I'll thank Brad, Brad Hazard actually, because he really, really annoyed me that guy, um, on his, those TV press conferences. And I don't care. I'll say it. I'm, I don't know the guy personally. I'm, and it's not a personal attack, but I didn't like the way that he, um, walked around and, and the things that he was saying. And I remember that there was an issue once, um, when the, when the vac the COVID vaccine rolled out. And some kids at a Parramatta school or something, one of those, a North Parramatta school or something like that. And a few, and the kids got, some of the kids got, they went to get the flu shot and some of the kids got the COVID shot and it hadn't even been approved for children or minors at that point. It was only for 18 and over. And he goes, well, we've injected a million people and, you know, I find it quite offensive. You know, no one's, we've done a great job and, you know, who cares about three people or something like that? Well, I kind of did care. So um, that really, really annoyed me. And instead of um, instead of throwing the um, <laughs> instead of throwing the, the shoe at the TV and swear at the TV and carry on, and I was really actually upset because I had actually had been home because I wasn't allowed to work when that happened. And um, being perfectly healthy and not allowed to work, it just does, it's not in my it's not in my vocabulary. So um, I work when I'm sick, so I don't care. But, um, well, I care about the people, if, obviously, if I'm not contagious. But if I've got a sore ankle or something like that, I'll still go to work. But um, anyway, what I was saying, yeah, so he really annoyed me. And then I decided that um, what can I do? Then Malcolm Roberts came on. And I'm like, yeah, I like what this guy's saying. Who's he? So then I researched up a bit. Then I started looking at party policies. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to run. And that's why I ran. And really, I thank Brad, ha Brad Hazard for peeing me off enough to actually dedicate the little spare time that I have into pushing me into politics. And then I thank um, One Nation and I thank um, Pauline Hanson and I thank um, Malcolm Roberts and Mark Latham and Rod Roberts um, for also um, helping me out, plus the team behind the scenes, you know what I mean? Like you've got all the guys up in Queensland and you've got the, you know, the, the guys down in um, New South Wales and that who, who help out behind the scenes. But I'd like to say that, you know, those guys supported us and, and now I'm here to fight for them and I'm here to fight for Campbelltown. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, I thought there was absolutely nothing to like about Brad Hazard and I, I like to find three good things about every person I come across. 
because I feel like it's the only way to keep yourself sane when you have to deal with people who lack logic, intelligence and empathy, which unfortunately that describes 99% of the New South Wales government right now. So, um, yeah, well, I, I guess one, two and three could be you and the two other candidates who told me that it was so painful, you, he inspired you to run. So it's nice that New South Wales could have some good options. Now, you mentioned being pushed into the Leppington electorate. Um, so you're theoretically not running in an electorate you live in, though obviously it's an electorate you work in. You're, you're connected to the electorate, so um, you could be considered a true local and therefore a valid representative for the people within that electorate. Now, I was just wanting to get your thoughts and people who, certain politicians, and we can name a few, but you can also find them. Do you go through the member privileges statements to find their residential suburbs? So there's quite a few members in the, both the federal and state parliament who could live kilometres away from their electorates. They do not work in their electorates. It's actually news when they go to their electoral office to do any work because it's that rare they visit their electorate. Some even feel compelled to post it on social media. Now, what's your thoughts on politicians who are completely disengaged from their electorate, either from day one or as they um, grow in their political career and they usually move up to the northern beaches, I find, or um, down to Cronulla or somewhere else where... They're completely disengaged from the working class. What's your thought on? Or in our case, in our case, down to Wombra, which is one of the first. Uh, yeah, so our federal electric, our federal member. Um, I know up until the last election, that's when I stopped researching him. Um, was the furthest he lived the furthest out of his electorate, out of all seated members, and that's the count. And he was the MacArthur guy. So that was one. That was that was a, a major. Um, that was a big thing, I think. Um, I guess to answer your question is, and this is what I said also um, federally, was how are you meant to connect with the people if you're not living like the people or with the people that you're representing? So I guess it comes to a point in um, in people's careers when they do break that barrier and, and are able to um, grow beyond maybe where they're from. I mean that's everyone's goal. That's what I mean. That's what pol politicians should be wanting for the people of their electorate is for them to be able to be so um, successful that they can move out of the electorate to somewhere where they perceive better or follow their dreams and 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 move further on to let the next next round of people come in to 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 also um, experience you know the privilege you know so they you know you want them you know you might have a really low demographic. And then they move up to the next demographic and the next, you know, and you want them, that's what you want. So you just want this nice kind of convection cycle of people really just, you know, moving through the area and growing. Um, but, yeah, my, my thing was how do you um, represent the people if you don't have the same problems as them? So I still have to go and get petrol at the same service stations as the people of my electorate. I still have to use all the toll roads that all my um, people in my electorate use. So Campbelltown's right down at the start of, the M5 or we, we got the Hume and then it turns into the M7 and M5. And if we want to leave the state, you're using maximum, you, you're getting billed the maximum way out and maximum way in. There's no halfway point in there or anything like that. So if you jump onto, um, if you jump on the Hume from Campbelltown, 
and followed up through the M5 and then go up into the city and then use the Eastern distributor and cross city tunnel. And I do, I have, I have to do it now more often than I like. And it just costs you an absolute fortune. I mean, I have to, I get um, my toll, my toll pass debits a hundred bucks out of my account every week. So that's roughly, um, yeah. So that's roughly the, I'm about five and a half grand a year on tolls. Um, not all of it's work because I work quite locally. So most of it's from, um, trips to and from actually since um, the cost of living has gone up so much I've probably started I've set program my navman not to use the toll roads as much so therefore creating another problem where we're going into the streets uh, in the smaller streets using the smaller streets so that's a bit of a that's a bit of a thing that I'm, I've seen in the paper that's becoming a bit of an issue where truckies are using little roads not main roads because it's so expensive for them I mean they pay three times the amount that I pay for my car for their tolls so it's pretty. It's um. It's an interesting situation where we are in Campbelltown. Um. But yeah. But um. You know, if um. I know the the federal guy. Like he would just wave on by when he's passing down the freeway, on the way down to Canberra or something like that, because he never really had to come to Campbelltown. Um. Whether he came to Campbelltown and sat in his office or not, I don't know. But, but um. I don't. I don't have records of any of that. But what I'm saying is, is that at least um. I live in the area. And um, well, close to the area now. Um, I still go shopping at Campbelltown Mall. Still show, go shopping at uh, at Macarthur Square. Um, I try to support all the local businesses that I can. My, my um, a couple of business. One one of the businesses I contract to is in the electorate just down at Lemire. And so I'm down there, you know, two three times a week, working around the area as well. So um, yeah, I just think that if you're living in the northern beaches and or the southern beaches and you have to worry about Campbelltown what about when the um during COVID the LG the LGA red areas or whatever they were you know local areas of concern so my my guy uh the federal guy he and I believe the um the state guy too um forgive me if I'm wrong I think he's a Norellan boy or something like that um what happens is they were in different electorates, so then they all LGAs, so they could still freely move about. They didn't feel the pain that we all had to feel down at being locked down month and month and month and month, and not allowed to go three k's out of our area, having the helicopters flying over our houses, checking our cars and our driveways, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think I think it's important to be with the people and feel the people, um, and feel their concern. I mean, you know, petrol stations and shopping malls when there's no toilet paper on the shelves and there's no meat on the shelves even still there's not enough stock on the shelves anymore so like you know i think you should live very close to or be actively in in the area at least i mean i'm not saying i as i said i don't live in my area i'm not going to live in my lga or my uh, electorate this time but um but i wouldn't have ran in this area um if i was in further up leppington way you know if, if i was on the other side of Cannon valley way or up at Emerald Hills or in um, um, Gledswood Hills, I'd be running for Leppington. I wouldn't be running for Campbelltown. So um, obviously you've mentioned that you work in and around Campbelltown. So you are a local in a sense that you know the people, you know the problems they're suffering. If a small, if the small coffee shop down the street closes, you'll feel that, you'll, you'll notice. Now, my MP has plenty of her faults that she does live locally. So when we were in lockdowns and she was stuck at home with her child like the rest of us, she knew the pain. She actually wrote to Brad Hazard, whereas I'm almost certain that if she lived in the Northern Beaches or in Cronulla 
people out in the regions, she probably wouldn't have cared because she wouldn't have experienced it herself. And I'm pretty confident she'll be all right with me saying this, but she's, she was born in the area. She grew up in the area and she, she, she's a proud local now, problems with their policies. But when it comes to the effects of living in the electorate, it doesn't matter what your policies are you're still able to represent the people in the capacity of knowing what they're going through because it's very likely you're going through the same thing. So whether it's floods, droughts, food shortages, um, mass business closure, you, the MP should know. Now, my federal MP is so rarely in our electorate. Every time he rocks up, he thinks it's important to post it on Twitter because that's how rare he comes. It's a memorable event. So... He's very out of touch. He has zero clue what goes on here. And I feel like, um, as you've expressed, that's what's got kind of going on with your state MP at the current moment. Now, you're running for the electorate of Campbelltown will allow the residents of Campbelltown an option to find somebody who knows when the small business closes, who knows when Woolies isn't stocking certain um, products that they need, who knows when business is going sour or when weather events occur and they don't need to look up or look it up on the news they'll just know because they're experiencing it themselves and no matter how empathetic an mp claims to be it, it's just human nature to know that um unless you're experiencing it yourself you can't care to the same degree as if you just heard about it so it is quite um concerning that they don't know What's going on now? Another thing I thought I'd mention about the southwest Sydney area and even Western Sydney and the broader, broader um, middle class, working class type suburbs is generally we're more traditional in values and we also generally hold to Australian values more than people in the in. Uh, no offense to those who live in the eastern suburbs, but those who live in areas like Newtown generally don't have the same Australian values people in Western Sydney do. Well, you know, that's right. So the thing is you have your traditional areas of like where they're kind of like conservative, like you're saying, like us, um, you know, where men are men, women are women, kids are kids. And then, hey, if they're 18 and decide to be gay or lesbian or whatever or homosexual or trans or whatever they want to be, they can. No one's saying they're not allowed to be, you know, just don't. Just ram it down our throats where it's kind of cool, you know. Is it is it not? I think if you, with this whole normalising thing, is it really the child's choice or the young person's choice? If the, if you they follow fads and trends and 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 you know the hip things, you know. So back in my back when I was you know sixteen seventeen, it was kind of cool to get tats and smoke. So guess what I did? I had tats and I smoked. You know what I mean? So what happens is now it's you know you know 14 15 16 even younger it's cool to kind of be gay it's cool to be trans it's cool to be these you know cross dress or whatever it is it's, they're kind of making it like that so of course they're going to jump on this bandwagon but is it their choice in the end like you know because they're kind of like hey you, you should do this if you want an exciting profile on facebook wear a dress and have a big beard and then you'll look cool and people will talk about it it's not it's it's kind of just like null and void is in the conservative areas as you mentioned generally we do st stick to more conservative values and what we'll traditionally know as free-spirited australian values now we've seen it in the safe school programs and the 
um, indoctrination of children from very young age, from climate to LGBTQIA to S plus issues, and I'm pretty sure I aced it this time, um, <laughs> to all other issues that we see in our schools and in our public square, we generally always lean to the more socially conservative side simply because usually we're closer to, we're, we're more down to earth now. Um, someone's offended by that, so be it. I'm not going to apologise. Um, you probably should get back down to earth. It'll be for your own good. Now, um, on, on the topic of being free-spirited, during COVID lockdowns, we seem to care the most. So when it came to petition, if you scroll through petitions and usually you see the postcodes, it's mostly Southwest Sydney and Western Sydney residents who signed them to escape lockdowns. Now, the first reason we could explain is because usually we're less fearful of smaller things. Like even when it comes to climate change, most people who believe in it are from Eastern Sydney. And that's just a matter of fact. If you look up um, even activists like Greta Thunberg and um, the young school strike for climate leaders in Sydney, they all come from the more um, upper class uh, private grammar school type system. So obviously it is a change of family values that you could, you could see the divide in family values and also in free spirit. Now the other issue with lockdown is in when Avalon had their COVID cluster, most of them, not all, but most people in that area had one or two children, had a few children who all had their own desks, who generally had parents with a degree. Statistically, they're, they're more likely than parents in South of Sydney. So they're able to help them with school. They're able to stay on track. Um, their parents usually had private studies. Usually they have white collar jobs. So it's quite easy to work from home. Um, while as in, whereas in areas like Western and Southwest Sydney, most parents have blue-collar jobs or jobs they can't easily do from home. Most children either share rooms or don't have the privilege of having a private study and it would just get chaotic with the parents having to help the children while not working properly. They wouldn't know when they're getting back to work, especially as vaccination mandates rolled in and some people exercise their right to choose what goes on with their body. Um, which is just a very basic human autonomy right now. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I believe if you want the vaccine, you also have the right to get it. It's just I have a problem with people being forced to take a vaccine, which shockingly did not work. So we're at a point where people who've been vaccinated have gotten COVID multiple times. So it may have worked. I'm not a, I don't claim to be a doctor or anything. It may have worked to um, reduce symptoms or other issues related with COVID, but it definitely did not stop transmission. Everyone I know who got vaccinated has gotten COVID since. Now, I guess it happens with other jabs too, but when the failure rate is close to 100%, there was absolutely no point in mandating it. And now with Pfizer reports coming out saying they didn't actually check for transmissibility in wide-scale studies, the very essence of Kerry Chant mandating them or allowing Gladys Berejiklian to mandate them or recommending it is put in question. Now, do you believe that the fact that most politicians live more lavish lifestyles in spacier homes generally could have been why they never stood up against the likes of Brad Hazard uh, when he did bring in these effects that affected people in Western and Southwest Sydney much more than in the Eastern suburbs? 
I think I think people were scared. So I'll give I'll give people that. I think and politicians are people just as like as as much as we want to flick mud at them and stuff like that. You know, I think I think they're people. Um, well, they are people and they have emotions and they have families and they wasn't quite sure. So my stance on all that was that I give them the first couple of months, eh? Like I'll I'll pay I'll pay them the first few months to figure out what's going on. Let's do the lockdown and kind of like let's sort it all out. Um, but there was fair fair bit of evidence to show um, you know that it wasn't going to stop transmission. Um, and then how dare Kerry Chant, Gladys Berejiklian, um, Brad Hazard turn around and say to those and to drive the fear is the biggest thing. How do they? How where do they get off saying that? Don't go see your mum. Don't go see your dad. Don't go see Granny because you could kill them. Okay, where do they get off saying that? And where do they get the basis to say that when Pfizer themselves didn't test for to stop the transmission? So they've made it up. They lied to the people because Pfizer themselves it was I can't remember what her name was now because that was in the European Court. Um, something uh, Janelle, I don't know if it was Janelle Smith or something like that. Um, she um, she said herself that they did not test for transmission or to prevent transmission. So where did I don't even like calling her Dr. Kerry Chan? I will call her Dr. Kerry Chan because of respect, because she's whatever. But I don't, you know. And then Brad Hazard, he didn't, you know. Where do they get off saying these things? So where, why, why, where, where do they get held to account? So One Nation is holding them to account. We just and I posted it on my Facebook page. You can see me on Adam Zara, One Nation, Campbelltown. You can see that I scroll back a few months, and you can see when um, when um, the good old Honourable Mark Latham started really questioning uh, Brad Hazard. Luckily, he wasn't. Brad Hazard wasn't there actually at the um, at the tribunal because he would have just blown up and started in flinging mud at uh, at the Honourable Mark Latham and um, Mark. You know, tr- you know, just trying to set Mark off to, you know, to, to make the whole thing a circus. But, um, but Mr. Latham's a very, very, very experienced politician and he knows what he's doing and he knows how to ask the right things. And I believe that he really did hold Brad Hazard to account. I know that, um, you know, Kerry, uh, Kerry Chant got kind of really, you know, well, I don't remember and I don't know, and I don't do this. And that other lady who took the notes for the close contact and, and the briefings, 27 words, I scribbled down on a notepad was all she had in documentation. Um, you know, so um, those things, I mean, this happened a few months ago now, so I used to know all the names, but obviously things move on with state politics. But um, I'm just saying that, you know, they need to be held accountable. And when people are lying to you to your face like that and they get up onto the uh, onto the news media at 11 o'clock every day and say, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. And then when you read the legislation, which I had to do every night, so that I could make sure that I could go to work, um, you know, and provide the family. Because funnily enough, right, if I don't work, I don't get paid because that's how I get paid from working. Because I'm, a, I don't get a sick pay and I don't get holiday pay and I don't get, I'm my own, I'm a small business, and I'm the owner of my own small business. So if I don't actually rock up and put screws to timber, then I don't get paid. So um, and a lot of a lot of people are like that if they're casual workers, you know. And I think when you back to your point of um, of you know the politicians don't understand the plight of the people. Well, when 
you're, I, I live in a house in St Andrews where I have three children and me and my wife. There's a family of five in a three-bedroom house. I have two daughters who share a room, okay? I don't have a study. I don't have a media room. I have a lounge room and I have a kitchen and I have one bathroom. I don't have a swimming pool, okay? At least I have a decent-sized yard. I'll give myself that. I, my yard's fairly big, okay? Right? So I do have a swing set out the back and a trampoline. I can fit one of the, those two items in my backyard. And I do have a um, small fire pit, so I can do a fire. But um, but at the end of the day, right? If you've got you know a, a family of three, five or three in a three bedroom house, and they're all in there in their confined spaces, um, a lot of kids, a lot of a lot of the a lot of the kids in our electorate, you know, especially like through um, Roos, um, Eds, um, you know, Lamia and things like that, you know, um, you know, some of those kids don't eat or have lunches packed for them every day at school. So they live a pretty rough life, actually, pretty hard. They 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 really are struggling to, to you know they struggle to get food, and they only eat when they have breakfast clubs at schools. So they've got a breakfast club uh, club program. Um, I I knew, I, I know a, a vice principal, or she was a vice principal of a school, a local school in the Campbelltown electorate. And um, I remember once we um, we sat down and we were having a, a, a just a, a coffee or something, and she said, you know. I feel like such a hypocrite because I, I I go to my kids go to a school where um, parents at PNF meetings are complaining about not having um, purified water coming out of the bubblers. They don't want their kids drinking just straight tap water. And she goes, and I work at a school where children don't even come to school with food. And she goes, I have to sometimes I'll go, I'll come I'll come and buy I'll come to school and I'll have twenty bucks in my wallet. So that she can run down to the service station and buy some two-minute noodles and things like that if the kids haven't eaten for a few days, you know. So, 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 you know, if if you're in a situation where you have a you know comfortable house and you know and everyone's got their own space and 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 you live in in a in a happy, healthy kind of environment and you've done you know and you're comfortable, you know, my house is a happy, healthy home. We've got a comfortable environment, but the house is not comfortable to be in 24 seven a day all on top of each other with one bathroom and one toilet and, um, and all that kind of stuff, you know, but we got on like a house on fire. We loved it. We, we were able to do a barbecue and I was able to help my kids learn. And, you know, and I do take an active role in teaching my kids and, and I threw away the laptops and I threw away the uh, iPads because they were just driving me nuts with all these different programs where you had to click through and Google docs, this and that. So I said to my, I said to my younger, my middle-aged girl, I said to her, don't worry about any of this. I'll speak to the school. And I said, but I guarantee you, you'll go back to school ahead. And um, and we, I put, put, bought Naplan books, and I made her do two or three pages of the Naplan books every day. And I said I made her write her times tables every day. That's from one to twelve times tables every day. She wrote them. Went back to school ahead. Um, so it didn't take much for me to do that. It was a few hours a day. Um, and my wife as well. Um, between. You know, we juggled with where I was when I was able to work. I worked when she was able to work. She worked and whatnot. But we're in that situation as well. So, um, you know, we we had to make do what we had to do. But I did think about those poor children who are in less fortunate situations where there might be an abusive parent, where it might be a bit of a hostile situation. And sometimes school is a um, a refuge for these kids. You know, six hours a day, and they're and they're and they're safe. And they're, you know, they, they, they can be themselves and they're away from some sort of, you know, oppression and oppressor, um, you know, so that was a big thing. So, you know, locking, locking them down and shutting down schools, I don't think was a very good idea. 
and you can see from the stats anyway i'm uh, i know that a colleague of mine gay cameron she's much more into the psychological side of things um you know being a psycho and whatnot yeah so um you know she's really um really um up on the you know mental health issues um i like the energy issues personally i believe it all starts with energy um so I, i've really dug d deep into the energy kind of thing um you know with all these renewables and and all this kind of stuff um but yeah i do i do feel the pain for the children um and 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 the lower demographic people you know you know and what and what about a wife going to you know she can go to work and escape uh, um you know an alcoholic husband or a husband can go to work and escape a, an abusive wife you know um and just kind of get that that bit of a respite and it wasn't wasn't able to happen when I mean, we weren't allowed we weren't allowed in our LGA at the worst of it to leave our house so only one of us were allowed to leave our house to go to the shops and we weren't allowed to travel more than 3k's out of our out of away from our house so um you know i no my, there was there was no there's no doubt that that we are a high we our petitions that we signed that more about you know the two fives and the two five fives and the two five sixes and all those kind of um and two double five eights and all that those those postcodes would have heavily signed you know um to to, to um to, to to end these uh mandates so um those mandates were pretty pretty bad especially for southwest sydney now i'll be the first to admit that i live a quite privileged life my definition of there's nothing to eat is out of the 50,000 options I have, there's nothing I feel like in that current moment or I'm going to actually have to spend five minutes preparing something. Now, I've got a few statistics for you. So right now in New South Wales, I know in New, sorry, in Australia, um, 40,000 children have been registered by the government as in danger. So it's not at risk of danger. It's at, they are literally, them staying in their home is not safe. And mind you, if we're going to be, start talking about statistics that aren't reported, children who haven't spoken to us, uh, I'd assume that statistic is much higher, but 40,000 reported cases where children are not safe in their homes. Now, in, in um, Australia, we have 9,000 registered foster carers. That means they're excluding all the children who are, who are already at risk, only um, 9,000 out of 40,000 are actually placed in a safe home. Now, of the 31,000, there are some kinship placements and some siblings get to go together. But there's, there's uh, even if there's one child, it's a problem. But there are at least hundreds, if not thousands of children in the state of New South Wales who the police know are not safe in their homes and they were forced to spend lockdowns with people the police knew and the government knew were not safe for them to be with. And now, obviously, that is shocking. It's appalling. Domestic violence is through the roof. Something like 30,000 children don't miss at least one meal per week. And um, the same number um, do not have access to nutritionally beneficial foods throughout the week, which is absolutely appalling in any nation but especially a first world nation where we have luxuries like our premier even considering to spend $25 million on a flagpole. So we obviously have funds in this state. We're not, we're not broke yet. We have funds, but they just don't distribute them properly. So we're in a situation where we close small businesses, we cripple the economy, 
And then we, um, we as a state allow thousands of children to not be nutritionally um, cared for or put them at, in risky situations, which the government knew they would be in. And same goes for women. Now, as a society, we should want to protect our women and children because that's what all great societies have done in the past. As a society, Jemima, we should be protecting anyone in danger. So men, women and children. Because the thing is, and I'm sorry if you were going to reach this point, but I had to say something because men are victims of domestic violence just as much as we, well, I don't know, if just not just as much, but men suffer domestic violence as well. So um, I think, you know, Matt Keane wants to spend $10 billion on solar panels and windmills. I think that $10 billion could go to something a lot better than intermittent energy that rises the cost of living. So I think when you're gonna, if you're when you're talking about the stresses of what you're talking about and violence and and domestic violence, the fastest way to create domestic violence in a household is put financial pressure on a family. And that's why I believe energy is such an important thing because the the quick the easiest way to reduce the cost of living is to make sure we have reliable, sustainable, uh, reliable, base load, affordable energy. How do we get that? Well, we get that through burn and coal. And then how do we, uh, yeah. So just we need to ease the burden on families, especially out West, who really do, you know, we don't have, we're not like, you know, you're right. We're not like, you know, Eastern suburbs and all that stuff. And there's people who struggle in the Eastern suburbs too. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is like, uh, you know, out in Roos, out in Eds, you know, down in Lemire, St Andrews even, where I live, you know, like it's a fight. Like, you know, it's not. It's not a it's not it's not a luxury life of being by the beach and kind of going and walking your kids around and and playing in the park all the time. You know, mum and dad both work. Sometimes, you know, twelve hour shifts. You know, I myself work seven seven days a week, most of the time, seven days a week, you know, upwards of ten to twelve hours a day. You know, just to, to make sure that there's food on the table and that we have the luxury of turning on the air conditioner. And I can guarantee you my electricity bill went up, my electricity bill for years and years on end has been around about 460 bucks a quarter, right? So my I've only got a small three-bed house, so and I only have an air conditioner and a few lights and whatnot, right? So And I'm the one, and I do walk around turning off the lights if people leave them on, okay? So that's I do do that dad thing. And I do get, ang- oh, not angry, but I do get upset if the air conditioner's left on and everyone's outside and doors are open. I mean, we've got to be conservative, right? So I said to them, uh, yeah, but my electricity bill uh, this time, it's gone up to over $680. And I can tell you something that it hasn't been hot enough to run the AC. We ran the AC once for a couple of hours and we only run it at 23 degrees. Whereas in previous years where we've been a bit hotter, you know, we'll run it at, you know, 20 degrees or something like that. We'll run it day and night, um, you know, for three or four days a week when we're all home or at Christmas time and stuff like that. And the bill was only ever 460 bucks, 470 maybe never. I don't ever remember if an electricity bill ever... 500 bucks and this time it was 680 bucks and we were more efficient now than we've ever been. So, um, yeah, so just, you know, we feel the pinch of cost of living and, and, and then people in Campbelltown do feel the cost of cost of living pinch. Yeah. And that's reminiscent for people all over New South Wales. Now, 
Uh, you've mentioned Gay Cameron before. One of my favourite quotes she likes to say is, New South Wales does not stand for Newcastle, Sydney, Wollongong. It extends to all of New South Wales. So the government should start focusing on all of New South Wales. Now, I guess in Western and Southwest Sydney, we, we do have the luxuries of having access to, to psychological health care. Obviously, there's more. more the, we always, the, we could, you could always say we need more of something, but compared to... Um, places like Lismore, we have it pretty good. We have access to doctors, we have access to shopping centres. Um, I know you've previously mentioned Campbelltown Hospital has been upgraded, but um, the government has indicated that they would like to increase migration to Australia. Now, One Nation has been constantly called racist because we don't want, um, because we have warned against high migration policies. Now, Obviously, I'm sure you would agree, it's not because we hate people, it's because, um, well, we're, we're underdeveloped and overpopulated in areas of Sydney, namely southwest and western Sydney. So um, if Albanese does want to bring more people to Australia, I'm sure we'll welcome them as a community as we always have and always will as a country. Um, well... Maybe not always have, but in the past 20 or so years, always have. Um, what, would you, what would you say the government needs to do if they want to bring forward that policy? Like, and if you are elected to state parliament, what would you do to advocate for your community of Campbelltown to make sure that they're not overpopulated and underdeveloped as we currently see is where we're heading as a state? And city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. So basically, let's talk about my area because that's what I've been focused on. Okay, so with the great, the greater southwest Sydney area is looking to get a population of 1.7 million, uh, 1.7 million people, which is about the size of Adelaide. Okay, Adelaide's got about four four hospitals, public hospitals. Um, we've only got Campbelltown and Liverpool. Okay, that are really major hospitals. We have Bankstown Hospital, which is smaller hospital. Okay, which I believe I heard somewhere along the grapevine is getting upgraded. It, it is okay. upgraded. It is getting upgraded. And I think okay. the maternity ward has already been upgraded because they've had several problems with it. So we've already had Campbelltown Hospital get massively upgraded again and there was a big debacle with car parking where staff had to pay, you know, some stupid number at $20, 25 bucks a day or something and, and it was costing them a fortune to, 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 to work, go to work. Um, so that was making it, you know, hard to get workers to work extra shifts and whatnot because of the cost of um, car parking. I believe they've rectified that situation now. But you've got this huge hospital in Campbelltown that still has, um, you know, over seven and a half hour waits in emergency. Okay, then you've got extra development going on down through Appen Road. Okay, where you've got um, Appen Valley, and then they've just approved two new estates. Uh, one's um, Gilead Estate. And there's another one, I can't remember the name of it at this present moment, um, but they're getting developed. So that's another 4,000 homes in the Campbelltown electorate. Okay, then you've got um, all, the, uh, all the growth that we've had through uh, Camden, Harrington Park, Harrington Grove, um, down, through, uh, down to, through to Wilton and Picton, we've had massive increases. So we've, we've had this huge population growth. I know that they did Nepean Hospital, that was just recently opened not too long ago. That's all right. But um, first things first, if more people are going to come to Campbelltown, we need to build another hospital out here. So we're looking at um, we're, we're a big advocate for uh, building a hospital at Brinjelli near the new Aerotropolis, the Western Sydney Airport. I think a nice. there's plenty of land there. 
a nice big new public hospital for the people that would go a far way into helping with the with the population. I don't believe in big Australia migration policy. I think you I think you got to, I think we need to bring people over and be really selective of who we bring over. And I'm not talking about race or religion or any of that. What I'm talking about is their skill set. Yes. Okay. Because, because we don't want to bring um, people here to just pay for. That's exactly right. Mass so what happens? Not a or an actual country. <laughs> exactly right. And the thing is, they you know they they talk about free this and free that. It's all taxpayer dollars. You say money. You said money doesn't grow on trees. No, it grows out of the. It grows off. It grows out of the taxpayer's back. You know, so that, you know, it's your back that, you know, you're the heavy lifting that you're doing. It's the heavy lifting that I'm doing. It's the heavy lifting that the taxpayer does is what pays for things. You want, you know, free education and free university and free dental and free all this, you know, free everything, free medical and free, you know, medical. Okay, Medicare is good. You know, I'm I'm an advocate for that. It works. Yeah. But you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, you know, free dental and things like that. I mean, like, that's off the taxpayer, and I think people really need to understand. And I want to send that. I want to send that message home: is that when the government promises you something, it's because it's coming from you anyway. So any sort of like subsidy that you get is you're paying for in the end, or they've borrowed the money that you're going to pay off anyway. Anyway, so what happens is we've got in New South Wales, every man, woman, and child in New South Wales has a twenty-two thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars debt against their name. Okay, that's not on top. That's not on top. That's not on top of your mortgage. That's not on top of your car. That's on top of your car loan. That's on top of every your credit card or whatever you've got. You have a silent debt of two twenty two thousand seven hundred fifty dollars, and then don't forget, and that's divided between only and the only people who are paying that off is the people who pay taxes, and not all the kids are paying work and paying taxes. We don't have child slave labor in Australia. So, what happens is right. So what happens is you. It's the workers, the small percent, the, the percentage of workers who are working, paying taxes, are paying off that debt. So I have three children, so I am paying off my three children. I'm paying off sixty six thousand, whatever it is, comes to debt for them. I'm paying that on top of my debt that I'm paying as well. So yeah. um, when it's you know, so don't don't be fooled by the government saying, oh, you know, we're going to give you a free this and you know, oh, toll relief that. Well, it's coming off your back. You know, Chris Minns is talking about, you know, toll relief this and we're going to we're gonna ban, you know, tolls and all that kind of stuff. Well, when he looks at the contracts and, you know, the contracts that West Connects and all these people have and realises that they're going to have to be paid out millions and millions of dollars, it's probably going to be a bit of a debacle like the whole coal price cap thing that Albanese's gone put through and all the money went to pay off the um, – and all the money went not to help the people, went to pay off all the big business that losing out on their returns. So – you know, you know, you have to have a little bit of common sense, and I think that's what One Nation's promising is is more common sense. So, unfortunately, we have tolls on our roads. So, how do we best combat tolls on our roads? Making sure people have work, exactly. making sure that cost of living is affordable, making sure that you don't have to mandate these stupid electric cars that cause six six times more mining than a regular car. You know, to you know that a stupid overpriced battery operated car with a year of a five year life span. Where you, then you have a forty thousand dollar battery to replace, or you just burn the car. So, um, or that's, it catches fire astro- for you. It's astronomical landfill too. Absolutely. So, how do you, how do you, how do you fix the, how do you fix the migration issue that we have? Well, we need to bring over skilled workers that we that can work here. Um, you know, they, they're talking about bringing over nurses. Well, a nurse from any other country can't work in Australia registered under APRA. I know this because my wife isn't nurse registered nurse in Australia, so she went through university. Um, she came from South Africa. 
she came over as a student with her family. Um, she decided to go to uni and she decided to become a nurse. Her mum was already a nurse and she had to go through uni and she had to pay her dues like every other Australian had to pay their dues. Um, if you bring over a nurse from Fiji, India, another country like that, you can't, um, and, and let's face it, American nurses aren't coming over, let's face it, like British nurses probably won't come over, okay? So you're looking at having nurses that can't practice here as licensed nurses, so they can come over as EENs or endorsed nurses or registered endorsed nurses or something like that, okay? And then what happens is they have to actually go through university to make up their, to make up their, to, to get their makeup course to work in Australia as a registered nurse. So what happens is if you bring over a nurse from another country and put them up in a house and then have to pay for their university fees for over a year to do their course to make up, become a registered nurse. Then if what happens if they've got a husband and children? We have to bring over the husband and children and then we're putting, you know. So what happens is to bring over one person who could be qualified in a year, you've got four potentially, you know, three to four other people coming over as well that we have to support until they get on their feet as well. So I think what happens is biggest. Well, we're not. We're we're we are a humane country, you know. So what I think is you have to be careful about you know when you're starting to get into these policies of like you know what's 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 the actual cost of it. So um, I think it would be far better to invest in our students of Australia to get their degrees, and instead of bringing over nurses and stuff like that from other countries, make sure we can get our nurses trained up from school here. And yeah, we're going to feel the pinch for a few years until we can get them coming up. Uh, but you know, instead of having foreign workers come over into work in our hospitals, we should have Australian workers who've gone through the Australian system and work and have jobs to go to instead of fighting for international people that we've brought over. So I guess there's two sides to every story, and we do need to fill the gap of the you know with a, a skill gap and a skill shortage. But it needs to be meted, and I, and I and, and I think anybody who really looked at um, One Nation policies, it's not a ban or a stop on bringing people over. It's making sure that we bring the right people over, and it's a limited amount of people. So I think Albanese wants one hundred eighty to two hundred fifty thousand people a year. In four years, that's that's a million people, a million more people in your city, with not enough hospitals, not enough houses, not enough roads, not enough trains, not enough anything. So. Um, how do you fix that? And what? how do you mitigate the carbon crisis that they're all talking about, whether you believe it or not? By bringing more people over, how does that alleviate uh, the net zero? How does that make the net zero target more achievable? Um, well, anyone who knows... Sorry? Well, I was, I was going to say, anyway, anyone who knows One Nation knows where we stand on net zero. So um, we know that that's net zero equals lights out for everybody. So, um, you know, on, based on something that doesn't really affect, uh, affect the climate, it's not, it's not really a key trigger if you listen to anyone else. And I've gone into it uh, in, in a fair bit of depth that carbon dioxide is not something that's really um, a trigger for global warming. Um, so, yeah, so that's what, you know, those, those, I mean, that's another topic. I mean, we could talk for an hour about climate and climate change, but, you know, I think you have to, as far as the big, the big picture of people coming over and migration and stuff like that. Yeah, well, we're going to need to bring people over, but we're going to have to bring the right people over. And that's not about race, and that's not about religion. It's about what's best for Australia. Who can help Australia the most? Who can help you the most? 
okay? Um, I don't care what colour or race or credo they are, but how are they going to help Australia? Now, the least multicultural area of Sydney is where the likes of Brad Hazard lives. So, ironically, bringing mass migration to Australia is actually most harmful to either migrants or um, descendants of migrants who generally go to places like southwest or western Sydney because what happens is they migrate to Australia where underdeveloped, overpopulated, and they're usually the first to get hit. So it's it's not about hating people. It's not it's about being realistic. Like obviously I'm sure like every person in Australia who would know about the fostering crisis will feel sorry for the thousands of children without a safe home. But is it realistic to say, oh, okay, we have this problem, so I'm gonna I'm gonna care for thirty one thousand children? Obviously, that will be a nice thought, but you're going to awfully neglect those children because it's not feasible for any one person to do. So, as a country, we need to build ourselves up. We have to educate our children. We have to be in a position where we can bring people here and once we can that's when we can help others we have to clean up our own backyard first we have to put our own oxygen mask and then we can put the oxygen mask on for other people but no but i, I want to talk about that because i love that analogy okay you can't help a passenger or your person sitting next to you suffocating because you know the plane loses pressure unless you're breathing that's a, that's the perfect analogy Okay, because I always use the one you can't help you mate across the line and with your legs broken. So, you know, you've got to fix your leg first. You know, you know, you, you, there's a hundred and hundreds of analogies like that, right? We need to fix our own backyard. We are, and this is why I say energy is the basis of everything because um, cheap, affordable energy is what brings people, brings countries out of poverty. That's why China is building 100 new power plant, uh, coal-fired power stations. That's why India is building 100 new coal-fired power stations, you know, because they know that cheap, affordable energy lifts their, lifts, lifts their people out of, out of poverty, okay? So um, same, that's, that's what we need to do here. And what we're doing is we're doing the opposite. So we're creating the most expensive electricity, right? And then it's becoming not baseload, it's becoming intermittent. Um, which also drives up prices. So we're actually, by definition, def sorry, by definition, making ourselves, uh, tr transferring ourselves back into poverty. So we need to fix Australia first. And, and it's so easy to do. We're the most energy mineral rich country in the world. We have a third of the world's supply of uranium. Okay, you know, because the government banned uranium whenever they banned it, you know, it's technology that we've that's been forgotten and we've been left behind, just like when they stopped supersonic flights, you know, and, and the end of the Concorde, it was the end of, you know, fast travel. It was the, the, the aviation industry went backwards because, you know, you know, so we're, we're, we're going backwards. People don't realise this. They think, oh, you know, carbon dioxide. You know, I mean, read our policy book. We've got the, the policy, the, 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 the facts are in here, you know, um, like if we stopped if if news if we stopped producing carbon dioxide right now, okay. So if New South Wales stopped producing carbon dioxide right now, we would affect the global temperature by point zero 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 five 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 degrees in a century. So listen to that that number. So it's zero point zero 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 five 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 degrees. Now that's 
data supplied from New South Wales Parliamentary Library, and that's through Keynes Emissions Reduction Program, and that's including the $10 billion green energy subsidies, and that's what's going to reduce the growth, and that's meant to reduce the global surface temperatures. Okay, and it's going to be by like that number again, because this is what we're talking about, and this is what you get your lefties banging on about and, and really just wasting people's time. It's over 0.000555 degrees. I mean, it's almost an immeasurable number, and that's over 100 years from now. That's what, by, by going green and sending everybody in the West poverty-stricken because we can't afford the electricity that, we've, that, that you're going to make us buy, okay, it's to to save the to save the global temperatures by by not even a degree. You tell me, is that worth is that is that juice worth the squeeze? Because I got a I've got I got I got seventy five million dollar road that I need, I want to get built in Campbelltown. Okay, and that's gonna ha that's gonna help four thousand people live much more more than four thousand homes. Sorry, not people. Four thousand homes have a much safer trip to and from home and to and from the workplace. That's Appen Road. You know, we, we live, we're, we've got a road that's not fit for purpose. We have a road that has, um, you know, endangered koalas, syphilis-free koalas in Campbelltown. So we're disease-free koalas in Campbelltown, one of the only colonies in Australia to be disease-free. Okay, and Matt Keane's going to go and spend $10 billion on solar panels and windmills. Build this damn road for $70 million, will ya? Okay, and let's get this done. We'll stop killing the animals and we'll stop killing the people and we'll give um, Campbelltown... And this new four thousand dollar development, four thousand home development, plus Appen Valley, plus Appen itself, and plus all the people from Campbelltown trying to go down to Bulli, down Bulli Pass, and and down to Thrull and all that in summertime. Okay, a decent road to use, and especially at night, you know. So you know, there's so much more things that we can do. I mean, that's just the road. Not to mention talking about the topic that you spoke about, Jemima, about forty thousand children in Australia. You know, well, um, you know, uh, you know, in danger. Forty thousand children in danger. They're actually in danger. That's what you were saying. Yeah. You know, it's like that's 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 ridiculous. You know, twenty five million dollars. Those statistics are about a year old, but it, it's roughly the same. That well, do you think it's going to? Yeah. Do you think it would have been it? Do you think it's gotten any better? No. I doubt it because those kind of numbers only Big get worse. foster care. It's gotten worse. Right. I agree. Right. So what happens is, you know, you've got. So you've got, you know, what happens to orphanages? You know, how, how many orphanages can you build? How many, how many qualified good people could you get into decent orphanages? Now, I'm, I'm or, you know, I, I grew up in the '80s and I watched Annie, and I, I don't like orphanages just from the point of. But we don't the, have Annie. orphanages in New South Wales. We have share homes and foster homes. So. Well, you know, if you've got forty thousand kids in danger, in danger. Oh, you said that's Australia wide, though, right? That's Australia wide. Okay. All right. I, I so let's. let's well, like obviously, it's going to be you know, New South Wales has got one of the biggest populations, so that that would be we'd have a quite a high percentage of that. Um, you know, like surely, surely some of that money, you know, can be used to 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 help these children out. You know, I'm sure that some of those kids could be put in safer environments if mum and dad weren't stressed out, stressed to to their eyeballs in um in in cost of living uh, prices. You know. Um, you know, those those kind of things could be, you know, we, we can help remedy these situations by sensible policy. And I think that's, again, back to that sense, you know, common sense and sensible policy. That's what we talk about in, in, in One Nation. You know, it's, it's just about applying a little bit of common sense. 
again, for a zero uh, a zero point zero 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 five five degree saving, you're going to bankrupt the, you're going to bankrupt the state. You're going to exactly. add ten billion dollars worth of debt. What's the point? You know, um, anyone can tell. I mean, I love anyone can tell you. You know, we're only at point zero four percent carbon in the atmosphere on the on on the climate dial. If we go much less than that much carbon carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we'll die. Yeah. So it only it only has to go down to 0.03 or 0.02% or something like that. And basically all the plant life on the earth will die. Carbon dioxide is plant food. Exactly. You create greenhouses, right? And you in you actually add carbon dioxide to the atmosphere inside a greenhouse to make plants grow more vegetables and fruit and food. So you're telling me, but we know that if you take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, you're going to kill the wildlife and pl- the plant life and flora and fauna and all that stuff. So, you know, we breathe it out. Animals breathe it out. We need it. And and, and um, it's a natural gas that the planet balances out. So it, it's something that the plants, you know, trees and plants breathe in. They, they take it in through photosynthesis and produce oxygen. That's what they do. You know, so it's not like it's something that um, that hasn't got checks and balances. The ocean absorbs carbon dioxide, you know. So these things, the pe- people need to understand and take a little bit of common sense and a bit of a reality check, you know. And I think that's the whole left idea, the whole left ideology, it, they're separated from reality as far as I can see. Not all of them, but not, but the extreme left, the extreme ones, the ones that glue in their hands to paintings and glue in their hands to the roads and stuff like that, you know, like they, they really need a, 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 a reality check. Yeah. You know? All extremism is bad and the left are more inclined to it because generally they have very little trust in humanity and they have big trust in government, which usually always leads to cult-like behaviour, which is almost always a case of extremism. But if somebody is on the extreme right... Well, it's still socialism. It's still fascism. Fascism, communism, and socialism, very to a very little extent, if at all, to the average person, they all look the same. So, as you said, extremism is bad. Extremism takes you away from reality, and most of these people do need a good reality check to just bring them back to planet Earth. Well, bring them back to center. Bring them back to center. You know, that's, that's, and that, that you know, we're, we, we get called or accused of being, you know, extreme right in politics. I can tell you something, there's more extreme right parties than us. You know, there's way more parties over to the right than we are. We're, we're so close to centre, you know, that, you you, you know, we, you would call a centrist. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, you've got people like myself who does not want the environment destroyed. And I'll go head to head with anybody who wants to destroy the environment because I certainly don't want that. But I'm also in reality. And I don't think that saving, look at this. Okay, so um, the more I've been researching into it, so people start using dirtier energy sources to heat their homes now. So they're using wood chips over in Germany and England to heat their homes, which is less energy dense material. So therefore, you're making more pollution, okay? If carbon dioxide is the thing that people don't want, you know, well, burning manure to keep your house warm is not a good way to keep your house warm. 
It's yeah. very dirty. It's, you know. Um, so what happens is you'd be better off investing in something that's quite energy dense, quite uh, 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 able to provide twenty four seven, seven days a week baseload energy, and then work on cleaning up everything. You know, and and oh, well, the answer is nuclear, but you know, you say that and everyone goes the Simpsons. You know, like you you you, you base reality on a on a stupid cartoon that we all love. But you basically, you know, that you, you know, you, you, you base, you, you're basing, you know, meltdowns on that, you know, you know, what is it? I think the figure of, I was doing a little bit of research on this. I'm going to a climate conference soon, in DY actually. So you need to prop, uh, uh, you need to, you know, promote that one for us a little bit. Oh, you're going to be there as well, aren't you? I was going to be there, but unfortunately, there are some school commitments I can't avoid. So oh, I, know I would have loved to be there and speak. And that's very privileged to be asked to, but yeah, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to turn down some offers until I finish my HSC, which is something I'm not well, gonna enjoy sure. doing, but it's probably for the greater good. No, make sure you do that. That's fine. That's no worries. Although I'm going to that one anyway, so that's that climate conference conference I'm going to. You know, and I've been doing a bit of research, and you know, energy dense materials are, are good. You know, you want to move to more energy dense materials. You know, and uh, and um and you know nuclear is the most energy dense material that we have at the moment. So, um, with uranium and all that kind of stuff. So that, that's that would be a positive way to future. And people don't realise this, but no no carbon emissions from nuclear. Yep. So the steam that you see coming out of the chimney is literally steam because it's water evaporating that's turning a turbine that creates energy. So yep. the nuclear reaction creates the heat, water evaporates, turns a turbine. And that's pretty much all she wrote. And I will give you a little tidbit. Yeah, and you've seen this before. Yeah? I love those cans. All right. This can, it's a can. That is the complete you, you nuclear waste that you would produce your life from birth to death. If we were using nuclear power to power our world, every person for their whole life would produce this much waste only. That's it, one can. Okay, so that would be a can of waste uranium. And guess what? They can re-enrich this used uranium and use it again. That's, that's technology that the French have. So what happens is that's pretty much sustainable energy, not to mention at current technology we have 30,000 years of supply at current technology. Yeah. If we use re-enrichment technology, which is what I was just talking about that the French have, that's 90,000 years. And there is another technology which I haven't confirmed. I'm going to speak to somebody. Actually, I want to try and speak to another nuclear physicist. But breeder technology. So breeder technology will is said to give us 4 billion years worth of energy. So basically, that'll give us enough energy until our sun expires. By then, we don't want to be on planet Earth anyway. So... Um, so people talk about uranium and 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 I'd like to see a, a, a windmill last that long. So um, there's certainly a lot of technology out there that could be developed. And um, that breeder technology that I was talking about is probably is just um, theoretical, I believe, at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I know that the rain. It's fantasy that um, solar farms will actually work in New South Wales. Just well. You know, they'll work when the sun might be shining on them, but the sun doesn't shine all the time and it certainly doesn't shine at night. So yeah. this is a big issue. 
that um, you know people say, oh, it's such a reliable form of energy. Well, I can tell you for 12 hours a day, it ain't doing nothing. Yep. And even with wind farms, if you stand outside around midnight, there's barely any wind at all. You're only There's only wind around dusk and dawn. That's And then even then, sometimes it's a little too strong for it to actually get the turbine spinning. Now, um, Oh, it's not strong enough. Gay Cameron got me hooked to the um, energy portal of, um, it's on a New South Wales government website. It's on my favourites tab and I spend way too much time on it. But if you go through it, if you go on it throughout the day, you can actually see where, um, how much coal, um, wind power and solar power is being used at any given time. And for the majority of the day, we are using coal, coal, coal and more coal because the wind doesn't blow and the sun's not shining. And like against Tim Flannery and his genius predictions that it would never rain, it's been raining pretty hard here in Sydney, especially for our summers. Now I miss the five consecutive 40 degree days. I I love them. They give you fantastic tans, but they've gone. And the solar panels are not working when it's raining cats and dogs. The wind turbines are not, uh, they're not turning. And there's no wind. So it's absolutely right. ludicrous to think that we're going to move to these technologies and it's going to be all unicorns and fairies from then on. Like, I'm sorry to break it to Matt Keen, but the tooth fairy isn't real. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to break it to you that unicorns don't exist. And to, we're, not it's going a, it's to, we're not going to have reliable energy believing in fairy tales. Well, they're yeah. already saying that we're going to have, if we, if we shut down Araring, and I think it's, I can't remember what the other one is, Araring and Liddell or something. I think, I don't know, if, I can't remember now, right? That we're going to have power outs in 2025 because there won't be enough supply. We've already had, we've already had our um, energy minister um, tell us that we had to um, not run our dishwashers and stuff through the day to keep the power going. Yep. That already happened. So it's you have to... It's not a conspiracy theory. So he's already they've already had to say that, hey, guys, hey, New South Wales, can we not run our dishwashers today or tomorrow because there's not enough energy in the grid to keep the lights going? So all this fantasy about $275 cheaper energy bills and blah, 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 and renewable this and renewable that tell me this and this is this is what i use for people is a solar panel renewable yeah because they they are five to ten years they're done and people go but they're warranted for 25 years but it doesn't matter if they have to replace it it's not something that you you don't you can't you don't fix them you know and i've been doing a bit of research about the recycling of them so you have to pay it's fine well they go straight into land they go straight into landfill but they can be recycled and they can, but it costs you to recycle them. So um, I was looking up at a website. I can't remember what it was now, but the, um, I haven't got the notes for it, but they were, um, apparently it's $10 a panel you have to pay to get them to recycle. Plus, plus you have to pay for the, the technician to come, take them down, disconnect them, blah, 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 pack them up and put them away. And then per panels, $10 to recycle it. Um, that you don't get that money that you've got to pay them that money. Then they sell off the goods that they take out of it. So they take out the copper and the aluminium and the glass and they send it and they'll probably get paid for those materials from 
the people who are going to like melt them down and reuse them. Yeah. So you're, it's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's good that we can recycle it. But again, a family out our way, out west, who's thinking that they're going to get a really good deal on solar panels with government rebates that Mr. Guy, so, you know, you get your taxpayer subsidies for cheaper, you know, for solar panels. They don't realise, that people don't realise that Mr. Person who doesn't have a solar panel on his roof is paying, they're dividing the cost for solar panels between you and you're not getting any benefit from it. Exactly. So, um, you know, so, but the taxpayers subsidizing them, which in turn you're subsidizing this. Um, even the person who puts a solar panel on their roof, they're, they're paying the subsidy anyway in their taxes. So it just seems to be a really just endless cycle of, it's, it seems like a lot of, I'd hate to be the accountant or the, the budget guy for, for Australia. Cause it seems like a lot of, you know, money handling, like, so you're, we pay tax and it gets subsidised and then you pay a bit of this and then they pay a bit of that. And your head must be like this full of numbers because um, it just seems to be very, very complicated when it really just doesn't need to be that complicated, I don't think. so. Yeah. Economics will always be super complicated, but I think it's important for people like Matt Green and um, Jim Chalmers to realise that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Now, I believe both gentlemen would greatly benefit from the book Basic Economics, where that quote comes from. Now, um, obviously, nothing on this planet is free. Whether you're getting a coupon for a meal or you're getting um, another product because you needed a refund, it's someone still paying for it, whether it's the manufacturer, the distributor, the taxpayer. There is nothing on planet Earth that is free, whether we like exactly it. Exactly right. Now, we're running slightly over time. So before we close up this episode, I think I run over time every time, so I should just change the time slot. Before we oh, yeah. um, end this episode, is there anything else you'd like to add a specific message for the people of New Campbelltown who will have the opportunity to vote for somebody who will actually represent them and their community in Parliament this coming March. Yeah, well, look, you know, Labor, Labor, Labor's had their turn and, um, you know, what are the, what's, what's, what's the results they've given you? You know, like um, our MP, he'll, he, talks, he talks the talk, I'll give him that. He's, 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 you know, he's all right for talking. And he'll um and he'll make a mention of people in on Hansard and he's you know talks about Appen Road and stuff like that. But these kind of things need to get done. And I just think that um when the seat is safe, and let's face it, Campbelltown's a safe Labor seat, you're never gonna have anybody really, really go toe to toe with the people that need to go toe to toe. So um what happens is I think One Nation, you know, we're we're not the new kids on the block. We're we're an established party. We have the ways and the means and the know how to to, to govern, and um, you know we have the resources to do it. Um, but we've got skin in the game, um, and you know we pay for our campaigns, and well, I pay for my campaign. And we all pay for our campaigns, and we do the we do the hard work. Um, I'm here to represent the people of Campbelltown, and you know for two there's two big things in Campbelltown. I think we need a um, Serve, we need our own service New South Wales in Campbelltown. So they got rid of the old RTA. Oh, and, really? uh Yeah, they got rid of the old RTA and then they moved the service New South Wales to Gregory Hills. So then you've got all these people out in Campbelltown have to basically go to Gregory Hills, which it doesn't sound like far, but if you've only got one service centre to use, 
than in your area or close to your area. It's a bit much. So we've got the population. You know, they want to put another 4,000 homes in. Service New South Wales needs to come back to, to Campbelltown. So we want that. Um, you know, we need Appen Road to be sorted. Um, we've got, we've had, you know, a lot. It's, it's one of the deadliest roads in Australia. And um, just like the hybrid Bradfield scheme that the federal guys always talk about, you know, Appen Road seems to be a common talking point um, for every election and nothing ever gets done. And I don't think they want to do anything because it's something that seems to win elections. Yeah, but um, rest assured, well, you know, constituents lose. They're the only ones who lose. That's exactly right. You know, so how many times can you be promised something and not happen? You know, that's that's my, I guess that's the biggest point. I think you need to really look at the party's policies, have a look if they what if they align with you. And I'll give that. That's that's the advice I normally give. So, um, you know, I chose One Nation because the policies that um that Mark Latham behind me there um, talks about as written, they align with my values. And I'm just a Campbelltown boy. And um, I'm just pretty much like everyone else. So I'm pretty sure if you looked at our policies and you think that you like a bit of common sense, then you would really actually benefit to vote in people of One Nation and get your friends to vote people of One Nation because um, it is common sense policy. I'm not going to attack um, Greg Warren or... Mike Freelander, all those guys—they're they're men just like anybody else. But you know, another man in in there with um with a bit of uh, you know footwork on the ground, and he's he's just a worker like you. Um, I don't see how you can lose, and uh, I think One Nation's the way to go. And now to all you hardcore Labor supporters, and I know you exist in Southwest and Western Sydney, and yes, I'm sure most of you have argued with me at least once or twice. And um, me, don't worry. It, you might want to know that Mark Latham was the leader of federal Labor for a few years. So if the leader of federal Labor could say that the party has gone rogue and that he needs to change and he joined One Nation, there's a good chance that you, as you also live in the same kind of areas as the Honourable Mark Latham lives in, he's proudly um, supportive of the Camden community. He, I believe he also lived in Fairfield, so he knows exactly what goes on in um, southwest and western Sydney. Um, if he knew, if he was at, at the top and he realised that there was a problem within the party and that One Nation still held to the values of the Labor Party 20, 40, 50 years ago, then, well, there's a good chance that maybe you might like to change your mind too and look into your candidate. Maybe you don't like them, but if you haven't tried it, then you can't you can't judge something until you give it a go. Now, thank you so much, Adam, for coming on. It's been um, wonderful to hear all your amazing insights into what goes on in your local area and in the greater realm of, of New South Wales politics. For any of you constituents, well, possibly future constituents, which I really hope will be the case sometime soon, so we need some better people in Parliament. <laughs> um, no. If they wanted to get into contact with you, if they have a problem with their street or their local member of Parliament, or if they just have a general policy concern, whether it be education, energy, or any other topic we spoke about today or that they may have concerns about, where can they get into contact with you? Yep, so I've got an email address. So it's um, Campbelltown at New South Wales One Nation. .org.au. Oh, I'll add that in. Um, yep, you've got that one. And then um, I've got um, my Facebook page, 
which I don't even know how I don't even know how the URLs or anything work on that, but I'm sure Jemima's going to put it in, into into the, the description. Okay, so <laughs> so um, I'm having a barbecue on the 21st of uh, January. It starts at nine o'clock till eleven o'clock, and it's going to be down at Appen Park. Um, it's a free barbecue, so if you wanted to come down and, and chat with me, um, I'll be down there doing basically a mobile office. Um, I'm doing some letterbox dropping, so you're going to see some flyers out and about. Um, basically, look, we're in state politics. Um, I want the best for Campbelltown. Um, I want the best for its people, and I want the best for its um, wildlife. And um, and you need somebody who's going to be a bit more hungry, I think. So I'm fairly hungry, and I want to try and do good. Um, but yeah, so anyway, when at these barbecues and things like that, we're going to keep it pretty much on state-based issues. So that's going to be around about, uh, it's going to be about getting up and road fixed. Um, it's going to, uh, so for the local issues, getting up and road fixed and getting a service New South Wales Centre for Campbelltown. Um, as far as we go on the uh, state issues, we want to end the work ideology in our education system. Children don't need to learn about trans and gender fluidity and blah, blah, blah. You know what? If you want your child to learn about that, just like um, Santa Claus and, and, and those kind of things, to talk, teach them about it in, in home. I don't need some left-wing teacher telling my children or you don't really need left-wing teacher telling your children what's what and how they should be and how they should act. I think that's a family-based situ situation. We want to bring back education to our, our school. So, you know, we, want, we don't want our kids to be three and a half and four years behind their peer um, in other countries. So we've got it, you know, we're New South Wales electric, uh, education system, we're, we're, we're second tier in Australia even, so against the other, other states. So we need, to, we're working on that, you know. Um, then we want um, energy. We've spoken plenty about that, you know, where we stand on energy. So the, the, these are the things that we need to talk about at, at, at our meetings, at our barbecues and stuff like that. I do recommend um, now's the time to stand up with your One Nation representative and, um, and volunteer. We, knew, we need people. We need people for scrutineering. If we, if we earn a vote, we want that vote counted. If you vote for us, you want your vote counted because believe me, right, sometimes those votes happen to get misplaced um, and that's not going into conspiracy. I, 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 had, I had scrutineers jump over the, the counters going, that, 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 how did that poll end up in that poll and what, 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 and, you know, so there's things going on there, okay? So we need our scrutineers. We need and our volunteers. That's part of any electoral process. The reason why we live in a state with such little corruption in our electoral system is because of our great scrutineers from a range of parties, just making sure no human errors happen, intentional or absolutely. Otherwise. Well, absolutely. So, you know, so now's the time. If you want change, if you feel like that you're not being represented by people who have your values, then have a look for the people that are representing you and your values. Because don't listen to the mainstream media and the hype about right-wing blah, blah, blah and all that kind of stuff. It's not. We believe in solid family values. We believe in the family. We believe that people have the right to their to, to pray in for their religion. You know, I'm a Christian myself. I, I, I pray to God every day, um, you know, and sometimes it's, oh, God, please help me. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, why have you got me into this today? But... What I'm saying is, is that you know we have our rights, and you need to you need to vote in the people who are going to fight for your rights. And One Nation have been clear advocates for the people's rights, 
from 2019, from the start, and from Pauline Hanson back in 96 right through to, to Mark Latham in 2019. Um, we are still fighting for the worker. We're fighting for blue collar, white collar, no collar. We're fighting for the people to have everything that they deserve and that they earn and that they work for. And that's very reasonable. Now, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a privilege to interview you and discuss the important issues we face in South West and Western Sydney. Thank you for standing up for your community. And I couldn't recommend enough to the people of Campbelltown to at least look into Adam and his policies and for all people across New South Wales to look for their candidates, whether they're One Nation or another minor party or even a major party. I'm sure there are instances where there are major party candidates who actually do their job. Now, it's becoming increasingly rare, unfortunately, but there are still a few in New South Wales that do their jobs and they might be worth your vote or your second preference. So it's really important to look at your electorate and see where your candidates stand, where, what their policies are and what their, um, what their track record says. If they're promising the world and delivering on nothing, you probably still don't want to, um, want to vote for them. Now, thank you so much for watching this episode. Please like, share, subscribe and um, leave a comment down below if you found anything particularly interesting or not. Um, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Jemima.